Hey mamas, and welcome to the Entering Motherhood podcast. This is your one-stop, go-to place for getting you from feeling drained, exhausted, and unfulfilled in motherhood to feeling more energized, organized, and accomplished. That's the vision I continue to navigate towards, and that's the vision we are sharing with you, focusing on holistic alternatives and restructuring your mind, body, and soul from the inside out. I'm your host, Sarah Marie Bilger, a wife, mom of two, mechanical engineer, VBAC mom, and doula, serving mamas through pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. If you're here for this, if you're as pumped up as I am and searching for that fire that you know is deep inside of you, then let's go. Let's uncover what it truly means to enter motherhood. You are a rock star. I believe in you. Let's doula this. Let's crank it up a notch and let's kick it into high gear together. Hey mamas, welcome to another episode of Entering Motherhood. Today, we are peeling back the layers of motherhood and really discussing the challenges, the triumphs, and those moments that really define us. And our guest, Danielle LaShawn, takes us on her personal journey from feeling very suffocated as a stay-at-home mom to ultimately discovering the power of self permission and self-discovery and her pursuit of what it meant to truly bring joy into her life and, and what that looked like. So get ready for insights, inspiration, and a few surprises along the way. So this episode is one you won't want to miss and, you know, really just get cozy and get comfortable, pop in those headphones or, you know, get in your car, wherever you're listening to this and get ready to embark on this empowering story from Danielle and really everything that she has been doing and creating and all the things that she has explored as she has entered motherhood. I know that you'll enjoy this episode so much because the conversation is just so deep and talks about every aspect of motherhood that you can think of. And what's really cool is we go beyond that initial entering motherhood stage and we talk about what's next to come and not in a way of, oh, you just wait until this, but really start to think about what's to come and how we can be working towards that now. Hello and welcome to Entering Motherhood. I am so glad to have you here today and get this conversation started. So how about you go ahead and introduce yourself for our listeners? Of course. So I am Danielle McKnight or Danielle LaShawn, if you follow me on YouTube or TikTok. Um, And I am a content creator. I'm a new author. Uh, My book is called Make a Deposit, A Guide to Rebuilding Your Identity and Finding Fulfillment After Having Kids. And I'm also a wife and mother of four. Awesome. So how old are all of your kids? Oh, wow. Okay. So I have a 16-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 5-year-old. Awesome. And how how long have you been married? Uh, We've been married for nine, 10 years. Sorry, we just had our 10th anniversary, 10 years. Awesome. (laughs) So let's backtrack a little bit then and see when you were first becoming a mom and you were entering motherhood for the first time, what was that experience like? 
Well, I had my first child at 20. So I think I thought I had it all figured out then. (laughs) And like, you know, I had the baby part figured out. We get a lot of information about how to take care of babies. So I got, I had that part figured out and that was fine. But I think, you know, once I started adding more kids, because my first son was very easy. He was the kind of baby that you put you put him down somewhere and he would stay there. He wouldn't really get into things. He would just, he was very mellow and he's still that way to this day. But, you know, what do they call it? A trick baby? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Leads you into wanting more. Yep. He was a trick baby. So then we had our second son and I actually, actually, um, before we conceived him or when we conceived him, I came home. So I was, became a stay at home mom for that second child. And I was a stay at home mom from have, so I went from in that 10 years of being a stay at home mom, I was, went from one child to four kids. So, um, it just became very hectic and very overstimulating and very everything that moms say that motherhood is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you went from <laughs> one to four. Mm-hmm. While being a stay-at-home mom. Oh my which goodness. Which is a whole other can of worms because it just it it makes you feel like you have to do everything and you're with them all day, every day. Yeah. Walk us through that and let us know, you know, like what was that like? you know, transitioning into being a stay-at-home mom? Was that something that, you know, you saw in your future, you were thinking of, or something that you sort of fell into and felt was the right choice? I think it it just felt like the right choice when I wanted to have another baby mm-hmm. um, or when we wanted to have another baby. And then after a while, I think it, it in the beginning, it's very idyllic to be a stay-at-home mom. But after a while, it just becomes suffocating to me anyway. To me, it became suffocating. I felt like that was the only purpose for my life was to serve my children and my husband. Yeah. So, what other like feelings and things were you going through? Like, yeah, I mean, I guess just like talk a little bit about like that experience and what was going on as like you were being a stay at home mom. I think what what really happened over time was that I realized that it wasn't going to be enough for me to just be a stay at home mom. I wanted to actually I wanted my life to have a greater meaning than to be someone's mom and someone's wife. I wanted to I wasn't really sure what I wanted exactly, but I knew that what I had was not going to cut it. And I wanted to do something. I needed something else that was just for me, that was just based on the on my my wants and my needs and I wanted to be selfish. I wanted permission to be a little bit selfish. Yeah. And I think that a lot of moms don't give themselves permission to be selfish. And we should, <laughs> because you can do great things when you devote that time to yourself. Yeah. What was that kind of like, like maybe talking to other mom friends or family or other friends in general or your husband and really saying like, I want something more, or I want to seek other, you know, options, or I want to, you know, work outside the house, or I want to pursue something like what was kind of going on there that you, you felt this desire to, you know, have that greater meaning? Well, okay, for me, I was kind of, I never really, although I came home and I was work, not working outside the house, I had done different things and started different businesses from home. So I, I, um, started a candle making business on Etsy. I started a, um, 
paper goods business on Etsy. So I was selling like cupcake toppers and things like that. I'm very creatively driven. So I have to be doing something creative all the time or I just feel like I'm not living. Um, Also started my YouTube channel. So I had different creative outlets and things that would make some money. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I've always been doing something. And when the time came when I just had that, you know, awakening and I was like, I have to do something else. Um, I don't know that I necessarily had conversations with anyone outside my household. It was really between me and my husband. And I was like, you know, I'm essentially like I'm dying on the inside. I have to do something. I have to, you know, find something that's for me and find fulfillment and be make myself happy or I'm not going to be good for anybody. So, you know, I just started going. (laughs) Yeah. What has that process been like for you? Oh man, it's been, it's been a journey. It's, I think that when we decide that we want to move in a certain direction, even if we don't have clarity on that um, direction yet, when you decide that you want to move in a certain direction, you just have to keep going. And eventually, you know, the clarity will start to come as you complete one step, the second step will appear in front of you. So you just have to go. And, you know, even if you can't get complete clarity right from the start, it's better to start than to not start because you'll never get it if you don't start moving. Yeah, I think I think that's really important. And like you said, like you started some other things and you tried some other things. And I think that's really mm-hmm. important to, you know, reach out and do different things and see like, do I like this? Like it's a it's a whole process of really expressing your creativity and finding things that click for you and and work with you. Yeah. And I think it's also maybe important not to tell everybody everything you're doing, because if it fails, you won't be able to do that silently and just by yourself. You you know, you'll have to, if you tell people I'm doing this and I'm doing that, then, you know, when you're still in that kind of discovery mode of it, then when you decide that it's no longer what you want, it may feel may not feel good to have to go back and say, "Hmm, no, I'm not doing that anymore. So I I think that's one thing I did that for me was good. I don't know if it's good for everybody, but for me, it was good to just kind of do those things by myself and not bring everybody into the fold on everything I was doing so that I could kind of fail silently. (laughs) There was a lot of failure happening, (laughs) but I kind of avoided the embarrassment of failing. (laughs) Yeah. Do you... Do you like regret doing that? Like, do you wish that you included some people that support you now that would have, you know, supported you during like all of those failures and it would have like felt like you had more support at that time? Or do you feel like it was just some things that you needed to kind of like process and go through? Definitely feel like it. I just needed to process it and go through it on my own because I wasn't sure about any of it. I was just kind of trying things, throwing things at the wall and seeing what would stick and they just didn't stick. So once you find the thing that you feel like is sticking, that's when I feel like it's the time to bring people into the fold and kind of, you know, invite them into what you're doing and let them support you. But if you're going to go through or cycle through like 10 different things, you maybe don't need everybody to be there for that. So what are, I guess, you doing now that you're really including people in and expressing it more and opening up about what you're pursuing? So definitely my book, um, even when I started writing it, which it took me almost two years from conception to actually bringing it to market, 
I, you know, told people that I was writing a book and I didn't give them the play by play and the, you know, every day because it was really just me. My husband would come home from work because at this time I still wasn't working. He would come home from work. I would get in the car, drive to the park or to Starbucks or to wherever and just sit in the car and work on the book for hours every day. And I would also wake up in the morning <laughs> and work on the book. So it was like my whole life revolved around the book at that time. So there really, really wasn't much to share updates wise other than I was writing a book. <laughs> and I continued to make YouTube videos and I would kind of, you know, bring the audience into some of the things I was doing with the book. Um, if there was anything exciting happening, but most of the time it was just writing. So there really wasn't like a ton to share. Yeah. But if you're if you're doing something that is, you know, where you're going to have more frequent updates, then definitely, you know, you're going to want to bring people into the fold and let them support you. Yeah. So, you know, you had mentioned like, you know, you were you felt very prepared for the baby stage. And then it was kind of this aftermath of of motherhood that you really felt like there was a lack of talk and and lack of like preparation around what do you kind of express or is this something that you mention in the book that you really feel like it's important to be having this conversation and to be talking about it maybe even now people that are in this very early stage of motherhood that haven't even thought what happens after the baby stage yeah um, you know like what can we kind of be thinking about and considering now before we get there. Yeah. So I think it's so important to have more conversations around what it's like to be a mother to children versus babies. Um, we all have a general understanding of what it takes to properly take care of a baby. We know we have to feed them, birth them, change them, nurture them. We know what it's like when they become toddlers, you know, it, it, we're going to have the terrible twos. We're going to have to baby proof. We're going to they're going to be into everything. So we all understand that. But then after the baby, after the second or third year of life, what happens? <laughs> we don't really talk about that. And I think it's because it's so, um, it can be so different from person to person, but it seems to me that we're all kind of, a lot of moms, if you ask us how our experience has been with raising children, it seems that there are some common themes. So those things, so we really need to talk about navigating motherhood after the toddler phase, things like the fact that kids tend to have a preference for their moms. You know, my kids will bypass their father to ask, to come to where I am and ask me a question and they just act like he doesn't exist when it comes to certain things. And I'm like, you, you, you walk past your dad to come to me and ask me for Oreos. Why? <laughs> <laughs> he can answer that question. He's capable. Um, we don't talk about overstimulation. We don't talk about, you know, the constant touching and the constant questions and the constant calling your name. That's just something that we don't really tend to talk about. And I've seen more and more conversations about this, like on TikTok. And I'm so happy about it because <laughs> I think that uh, those creators are setting a much more realistic expectation of what it's like to be a mom after that that first couple years. Um, and another thing we don't talk about is feeling guilty for taking time to yourself and setting boundaries with your kids, because yeah. that's so important. We have to tell them, you know, mom is mom needs 10 minutes. Mom needs 20 minutes. I need 30 minutes. Even if I have to set a timer on Alexa and just, you know, say after this timer goes off, you can come and find me. But, yeah. you know, until then, I just need some time to myself. Like, can you do that? 
<laughs> we need to have all those conversations so women are not thrust into motherhood and not prepared for any of these things to happen. And then there, because no one talks about it, there's no support for it. So you just kind of go through it alone and you feel guilty for feeling that way, but it's normal. We all feel that way. Yeah. I think, you know, like you said, the going to mom preference or mm -hmm. like, you know, even just the calling your name or like the constant, Hey, Hey, look at this, look at this, look at this, like things like that. Like yeah. they do want your attention a lot of the time. And as someone that was, you know, like staying at home, like being with them, like it's very easy to get touched out or tapped out or burned out um, because of that. And I can definitely, you know, relate like my daughter prefers me to be in there like at night, like, oh, like, no, like I want it to be mommy's night or I want mommy to put me to bed. And it's mm -hmm. just kind of like, you know, sometimes you do want that time for yourself. And it's like, you know, you want to embrace this time. What else are you doing? You know, like, it's like, okay, like mommy wants to go to bed, but like, they want you to like be there with them. Or maybe you want to like, go take a bath or just go read a book or just like have that alone time. And it's almost like you do feel guilty to be taking that time for yourself when they're specifically asking for you or wanting you or wanting maybe you to get that cookie for them or you to do that action for <laughs> them. And I think it is like a struggle, like saying like to do those things versus do something that maybe like you just literally need like a moment to yourself. So what kind of suggestions or things have you found to really help navigate that time and to release the guilt or get in a better mindset towards these moments? Yeah. So um, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with my cousin a couple days ago and she was saying, you know, I just feel so burnt out. I'm so tired. I'm, I just don't have any time for myself. I want to do things. And her kids are both nine. So they're on the, they're not older, older, but they're, you know, old enough to do some things for their, for themselves. So um, in that conversation, I was telling her some of the things that I do is she was saying that her daughter wants to start making bead bracelets. So I was like, well, and she needs, she promised her she would do the shopping with her. So I'm like, well, give her the computer, let her, you know, go through all of the bead shopping on her own, add some things to the cart and then set a 20, 30 minute timer for you guys to go through what's in the cart and kind of decide what to buy. Empower her to do things on her own. If you don't want to cook every night, make sure you have some things in the house that your kids can cook on their own. Maybe have a standing pizza night where, you know, you can buy tortillas or pre-made pizza crust and the ingredients and they can bake their own pizzas or air fry their own pizzas. Create opportunities for them to do things for themselves and make it fun so that they don't mind doing it. And at the end of the day, kids are resilient. They can adjust to, you know, things changing. So if you need to have some time to yourself five hours a week or whatever it is, maybe three nights a week, you're going to go to the gym for two hours or an hour and a half make sure they have what they need and go, <laughs> you know, yeah. just go and they'll, they'll adjust. They'll be okay. They'll figure it out. It's not the end of the world. You're, you might feel guilty, but that will also fade. Once yeah. you realize they're okay and they can survive without you, <laughs> then you realize there's nothing to be guilty about. Yeah. So that's my best advice. Just create new routines and new, new thing, new actions and new routines and new processes that will allow you to make time for yourself. Because yeah. you have to, <laughs> or you're going to drive yourself crazy. 
and your kids will be okay. Yeah. You talk about this concept of building your happiness bank. Can you Mm -hmm. kind of elaborate on that and talk about how that relates to this? So the book is called Make a Deposit because throughout the book, we make deposits in every chapter, which are basically activities that you can do, um, like assignments that you're going to do to get you closer to your goal. So every time you make a deposit, you know, you've made a deposit in your life bank. We talk about withdrawals, which are based. So deposits are essentially things that you do that get you closer to your goal. Whereas withdrawals are things you do that take you away from your goal. And both are important because you can't make deposits all the time or you will not have any fun (laughs) because typically deposits are not the things that are fun. They're the things that are necessary. Withdrawals are typically the things that are fun. So you need a balance of both, but you need to be making more deposits than withdrawals, similar to a bank account. You have to make deposits so that when you make a withdrawal, it doesn't bankrupt you. What are some real life examples that you kind of did that that really inspired you to create this concept? Um, So for me, uh, one deposit that I made consistently was writing when I was creating the book. So I would set that time apart or my kids are also homeschooled, so I can kind of control when they are up and working. So I would let them sleep in. And I would be up in the morning writing and then I would, you know, go through the whole day of activities and make sure dinner was cooked before my husband got home or let him order pizza or whatever. And then, you know, in the evenings I would write. I created systems that would allow me to focus on what I needed to do. I could write or I could edit in the morning. And those were my deposits for probably almost two years. (laughs) (laughs) And then just, um, you know, the other things that go into writing a book as we, you know, went through the process of actually doing it with the publisher. But yeah, I mean, I think um, another system that I made created in the book was and in real life was around um, fitness, health and fitness. So I created a spreadsheet that I could kind of keep track of what I was eating or how many calories I was eating per day, how many workouts I'd done how many calories I burned and kind of check off every day that was successful and count that as a deposit. And every day that was not successful, count that as a withdrawal. Once you track things, you create systems and processes, and then you track your progress. It really allows you to see, okay, this is where I can improve. This is what I could be doing better. And then you're able to fine tune it to create the the results that you want. What has been your favorite part of the whole process of writing the book? Um, I think cover design was probably the most fun part (laughs) because it just brings, it just creates a visual representation of all your work. So I think that was probably the most fun for me um, in the book writing process. Can you explain like maybe if there's a story behind the cover, like how you kind of uh, came up with that? Oh yeah, there's a story. (laughs) So uh, the cover is, I wanted it to be a representation of motherhood, but not necessarily any phase of motherhood, because I feel like you can feel like this at any phase in motherhood. You can feel like this when your baby's a baby. You can feel like this when you when you have teenagers. You can feel like this as an empty nester if you're still kind of doing a lot for your kids. So I didn't want it to necessarily represent a specific phase or a lot of moms have multiple phases of motherhood. Like me, I have a teenager all the way down to a five-year-old. So, you know, I'm kind of in a few different phases of motherhood all at once. So I didn't want it to have an actual person on there because some people may feel like it doesn't represent them if they saw someone who didn't look like them. And I also didn't want it to kind of 
make people not be able to identify with it. So the cover has like a living room (laughs) with some toys on the floor. Um, And I feel like that's a pretty accurate representation of, you know, most moms life, (laughs) especially when they have kids and not teenagers. Mm -hmm. Some teenagers, too, (laughs) because my teenagers can be messy sometimes, too. What has the process been like for your kids and what do they kind of say about, you know, you having a book now and and the the journey that you've been on? I think they're, um, you know, they were proud, but also I think they I think they they're proud and they feel like, okay, so we can do the things we want to do. And also when it comes to my kids, I'm very open with what they want. I'm, I'm, I don't ever want to impose what I think is best within reason. (laughs) I want them to make their own choices and I want them to be able to kind of navigate that decision-making process and figuring out what the consequences are of their actions, because that's the only way you get better at making choices. Yeah. I just want them to feel like they can do whatever they want to do and we'll support them. Yeah. I think that's great. I think It can be a difficult kind of struggle when you have maybe set things that you like want to do with them or for them or have them do like certain things, but it's a really cool opportunity to see and hear, you know, what they specifically want to do Mm -hmm. Um, and to give them that freedom and flexibility and opportunity to, to explore those different things. Yeah, but to also understand that your actions have consequences. So if you're going to do something, you have to understand that the consequence may not be positive. So make your own choices, but understand that there are consequences one way or the other, either positive or negative. So, you know, you're free to do what you want to do, but try and make good choices because (laughs) you are not exempt from bad consequences or negative consequences. I know with a lot of your audience, their kids are not yet or they're just entering motherhood. They're not necessarily in the phases that we've been talking about yet. (laughs) Um, And it would be perfect to not have to rebuild your identity if you can just hold on to your identity within your, you know, in your journey. But because people tend to always have a birthing plan, they tend to have, you know, a babysitter lined up and things like that, but they don't necessarily think about what your plan is, again, for after the kids are a little bit older. So it would be great to, you know, kind of think about maybe a kindergarten plan or a elementary school plan or, you know, just all those different phases kind of try to think through some of what can help you not feel the way that a lot of mothers end up feeling because we haven't done that. (laughs) We didn't do that and we didn't prepare for that. And then there's the other side where it's kind of like, can you actually prepare for that? (laughs) So it's like, you know, you can kind of, you can try, but it may not work because you don't know who your kid's going to be after two or three years. If you're at that point, that's where the book comes in. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you, once you've already, once you feel like you've lost yourself, how do you actually rebuild your identity? How do you get back to somebody that you're proud to be? For me, that's kind of a six step process. So the first step is going to be figuring out, figuring out what you want. So soul searching and thinking about, What do I want? Not for my kids, not for my husband, not for my partner, but what do I want for me? Just removing everybody else from the equation and focusing only on yourself and what you want to see for your life. The next step is going to be creating a vision. So you want to actually, once you decide what you want, create a vision statement. 
So maybe outline the next three to five years of your life and what it's going to look like, where you want to be, how you want to feel, what you want to be doing, all those things. And the book goes into a lot of detail about how to actually do this. Step three is going to be prioritizing. So you want to, you have to make time for yourself and work towards your goals. So you have to figure out when you can do this so that you can be doing this on a daily basis. You have to make time for yourself and you have to make time for your goals. Number four is going to be commitment. So you have to commit to being consistent. Once you build these processes and routines, you have to stick with it. And that's the hard part. I think that's the hardest part of the entire thing because you cannot, it doesn't, it's not easy to consistently do something when you're not seeing the results. And that's why you're going to be tracking your progress. That's why you're going to be focusing on making your deposits and making fewer withdrawals so that you can make sure that you're going in the right direction. Um, someone said you only need to be do the right thing 80% of the time. You can be do the wrong thing 20% of the time and still succeed. So if you're tracking, you can make sure that you're doing 80% of the right things for you because this is different for everybody. It's individualized and my deposits may be withdrawals for you. And step five, you're going to go back to your vision statement daily, especially in the beginning. You want to really make sure you're reading it and feeling those emotions that come along with it and really immersing yourself in it so that you can feel the feelings that are going to get you moving in the right direction and, and um, motivate you to do the things you need to do to get there. And then the last step is pivoting. You have to be willing to pivot. We can create our vision statement. We can, we can, you know, start moving in that direction, but it, something's going to happen that's going to force you to do something different. I thought that I would be able to be a stay-at-home mom and continue to work toward a career as an author and everything else, but and still get the uh, the house that we built and all that, but I had to go back to work. <laughs> that was not part of my vision. I did not think I would have to go back and work full-time, but that is, that's what happened, and that's how I was able to continue to further my goal. So pivoting is so important. <laughs> it's not going to 99% of the time, it's not going to go exactly as you planned it because success is not a straight line. But as long as you're willing to pivot and do something different and do what you have to do to kind of, you know, allow for the unexpected, that's how you'll get there. Yeah, I think that pivoting portion is such an important part because, you know, you can still, like you said, success is not a straight line. Like you can still get to your end goal. You can still get to where you want to go, but maybe it's just a different route or it's a different, you know, way than you thought it might be. And I think remembering to hold on to what that goal is and why you want that mm -hmm. and why you originally, you know, sought that out. And it's okay to also like change your mind if it's something that you don't want to pursue anymore, but it's more so, you know, like, are you, saying like, oh, this didn't go exactly how I wanted it to go. So like, let's just toss it away. Or is it like, no, I really want this to still be my goal. How can we get there in a different way? Or what is a different route? Or how can, you know, we go about this um, to still get that same goal? And I think like understanding that that's part of it, that it's, mm -hmm. you know, like going to happen and having, you know, a support system in place that's going to let you see that and let you know that, you know, this is just part of it. And if you still want that to be a goal, you can still keep pursuing that. So what was something maybe, you know, when you were having doubt or having a hard time seeing like another way or another option, like you said, like you had to go back to work, what was 
kind of going through your mind and what really allowed you to hold on to your initial goal? Well, for us, it was our house is what caused me to have to go back to work because that was one of the things on my vision statement. And I wanted, we both wanted this house so bad. (laughs) So it was like, either we can show more income or we will not get our house because this is when interest rates skyrocketed and Mm -hmm. there were supply chain issues everywhere. And it was just so many different, it was a perfect storm for real estate being hard to acquire. (laughs) So I was like, okay, well, we need more money. I'm going to have to go back to work. It is what it is. Like I didn't even, it was like life or death to me. It was like, either you're going to do it or you're going to stay where you are. And staying where I was, was way more scary to me than doing what I had to do to move forward. And I think when you get to that point, that's when you're like, you're locked in. Yeah. <laughs> Once you get to the point where you're more afraid of staying the same than you are of changing, that's when you're going to change and you're going to do whatever you have to do, to do to change. So where are you at now? What do you have, you know, looking into the future? What are some of your current goals and what you're going for? So my current goal is um, I'm actually at the point where I've I've attained a lot of my goals. So I'm having, I'm, I need to reread the book and go through the um, deposits and create a whole new vision statement because some of the things in my original vision statement are not things that I necessarily want anymore or want to work toward anymore and some things. And then there are new things that I want to work toward that I need to add. So um, for me, I want to make my YouTube channel more successful. <laughs> um, so I definitely want to hone in on getting more focused with that. Um, Also my TikTok. So for me, content creation is going to be at the top of the list these days for my goals. Um, And also getting back on my fitness journey, because when we moved in, I was like, there's just like a million things to do. We didn't bring anything from our old house. We had to, we started completely from scratch with like everything, dishes, furniture, Literally everything that's in our house now, we bought it from, we started from scratch. So that was stressful. (laughs) And I was like, I don't have time to do this and focus on a weight loss journey or, you know, a health and wellness journey. So I really want to get back to that. So that is one thing that I want to focus on this or moving forward as well as content creation. Um, And how I'm going to do that is I'm going to reread the book and uh, use not only the book, but also the journal. Um, If you for you guys that don't know, we've all, I also created a companion product to go along with the book and it's a journal. So every deposit inside the book is expanded on in the journal. It will help you maximize on the information that you're getting from the book by using the journal alongside it. It gives you somewhere to write everything. It gives you um, a more in-depth look at each deposit and it just makes it easier to follow along with it. So that's my plan. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the book, just go back to basics and get myself motivated again, because I've, I've gotten a little bit um, complacent with where I am now. And I need to, I need to get back on track. Yeah, I love that. I love that, you know, you've created something that not only other moms can utilize, but you're utilizing it yourself, because you know, like how powerful of a tool it is. And Mm -hmm. you know that, you know, this works. Yeah, (laughs) I've done it before. So I know I can do it again. Yeah. Um, and I just think we just it's just getting focused because it's just so hard to drown out the drown out the noise and really hone in on a specific thing or a specific goal or a specific set of goals. And this is will do that for you. It will let you 
it will allow you to really focus on what you want. It'll give you the time and space to really think through that whole process and what you want to see for yourself in the future. And it will tell you step by step how to get there, what to do, what you, you know, from visualization to stretching, which is a super important part um, of just kind of feeling better in your own skin, to journaling, to all these different techniques. Um, and that's on top of the actual deposits. Yeah, it's it's really a great tool for going from where you don't want to be to where you do want to be. Yeah, I think, you know, that's something that I talk about a lot and something that I think is really important, like just understanding, like, where do you want to be? Like, what kind of mom do you want to be? Like, what vision do you have for motherhood? And so mm-hmm. it's a really awesome concept and and neat way of going about it. Yeah. And just being really intentional about figuring out how you can get there, not just saying what you want to do, but also how can I do it and what can I do on a daily basis that will get me there? So if it's how can I be a gentle parent, then maybe coming up with some techniques for gentle parenting and then actual um, steps you can take every day. And maybe, you know, if my child does this, I'm going to react this way. If he screams, I'm going to be calm. And I'm going to say this. Yeah. And then it it takes the guesswork out of motherhood. <laughs> if you know what you're going to do and how you're going to react in certain situations, then it creates a sense of normalcy for you and your child, because now he knows how you're going to react. You know how you're going to react. And it doesn't have to be reactive. Everything doesn't have to be reactive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a really empowering thing, too, because you're setting those goals. You're saying, you know, what you want out of it. It's not, you know like this is the way you have to do it or this is how this gets done. It's sort of, you know, here's a blueprint for how you can lay out, you know, what you see and what your goals are. And like you said, like your deposits and withdrawals are going to all be different. And Mm -hmm. like understanding that like your journey is unique and specific to you, I think is really empowering. Yeah. And also understanding that maybe you don't need to ask people you know, for help with that. Maybe you need to figure it out for your, not, I don't want to say figure it out for yourself, but maybe you need to kind of think that through on your own and be clear on it by yourself first before you allow other people to give you input, especially people from older generations who don't parent the way you want to parent or who did not parent the way you want to parent because they're not going to be able to give you the kind of feedback that you're looking for. Yeah. You may not agree with their, with the information they want to provide to you. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So where can we get the book? How can we get in contact with you? Where do you mostly, I know you were saying like TikTok and stuff, like what else, uh, what other platforms are you on and where can we find the book? Um, You can find the book on um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, Feel like wherever books are sold (laughs) is where you can find the book. Um, But Amazon is going to be the easiest place to buy it because we all know two-day shipping can't be beat. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But as far as socials, YouTube is Danielle LaShawn. TikTok is Danielle LaShawn underscore, 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 two underscores, sorry. And um, I don't really post much on Instagram, but Instagram is uh, Danielle underscore LaShawn, I believe. Awesome. Well, do you have any other final words of wisdom or pieces of advice that you'd want to share? Yeah, just be true to yourself. Do what's best for you. Figure out, take the time to really figure out what is going to be the best 
direction for you to go with your life and then move in that direction. Block out the outside noise. Don't let anyone influence you. Figure out what's best for you because no one can live your life but you (laughs) and the regrets that you're going to have if you don't do this. No one else is going to feel that but you. So make it a priority to figure out what is going to be the best move for you in your life and what direction you want to move in. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing, you know, your story and uh, different experiences that you've had and how we can find your book. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you, mamas, so much for listening. Remember, you are a rock star. I believe in you. Let's doula this. Let's crank it up a notch and let's kick it into high gear together. Hit that subscribe button. Share this episode with a friend. Message me, email me, call me, beat me. You know how to reach me. We're doing this, mamas. I am so excited to catch you here next week. This is your one-stop go-to place for helping you find the resources you need to make the best choices for you and your family during pregnancy, birth, and most importantly, postpartum. See you later, mamas.